Hello and welcome to Birdcast, the podcast where we look at all the iterations of Quatermass on film, television and radio. And sometimes look at some of Nigel Neal's other work as well, as indeed we are this time when we're examining his 1972 play, The Stone Tape. We're joined this time by Dr Una McCormack, prolific writer, a broadcaster and academic, who has been a big supporter of Birdcast since the very beginning. It was a real pleasure to have her on. Over the course of our discussion, we look at the state of the British manufacturing industry, and we ask the question of whether the story of a man's ruin is best told over the body of a woman. And we also wonder what a feminist stone tape in space might look like. Today we're doing uh, the stone tape. Um, mm. Initially, when we first did, um, before the lockdowns and things, when I was, I was going to be quite strict, only doing Quatermass, and then go back maybe later and do and do Neil. But Howard made the point that in the gap between the Hammer Pit and the Euston Films Quatermass, uh, is such that you might want to look at what Neil was doing over that time, and there are two significant bits, three if you make if you make rain separate. Um, but when I eventually did, uh, when you eventually did kind of agree to do an episode, you specified that you might like to do the stone tape. So mm. why why in particular? Um, because, and I'll, I'll put this out there, uh, I don't really like the stone tape very much. So, uh, <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah. so um, I and I, uh, I I see it's a very accomplished piece of television. A really, really accomplished piece of writing. Um, but I, I the, from the first time I watched it, I had I had really, really strongly negative reactions to it. Uh, and then as I got a bit kind of older, I I I, I started to try and articulate those. Um, so I've watched it. I think the first time I watched it must have been about 1991. I was thinking about this last night. I, that's, that's closer to transmission than it is to now, isn't it? So, um, yeah, when did you, yeah, yeah. How did you, how did you first see it? I don't oh, I, ca I can't remember now. It's one of these, it was one of these things where, a, a you know, a, somebody had a dodgy copy and you were in, a, you, yeah. you were in a mate's room behind a pub with a secret handshake and it was that kind of thing it is because it, unlike other things it never got repeated I mean, it was broadcast what, what christmas 72 repeated yep. the following year i think mm. and then before it got dvd released in about 2001 and it hasn't it hasn't had much as well it but had we, a, B, a bbc4 um broadcast around that time it got a, B, a dvd release because that's when it, i okay. saw it yeah yeah um, but I, I must have seen it in the early 90s. And I, I, so God knows what, what quality, you know, condition this thing was in. Um, and I, th I, I thought it was quite, I thought it was, I thought it was quite, I thought it was quite dull. I thought it was quite stagey, um, which I think you're only, you're only on a, and I possibly, um, I was watching it be, because Ghostwatch was happening or something like that. I can't remember what, what year Ghostwatch right. is now. But, um, 92. 92. And, yeah. and I, and I think, um, possibly 1972 television when you're watching it in the early 90s wow. you're kind of going Ooh, ew, possibly yeah. even more so now because um i don't know uniquely but it's 72 it's all on video there's no film, there's no film sequences and it's yeah. 72 when generally 
all locations were shot on 60 millimeter absolutely film. yeah you're kind of you're doing that double thing aren't you you're certainly yeah. doing it in, in blake seven right until the end you kind of go oh film series the film sequence um so I, I i basically didn't like it and i thought oh it must be me everybody raves about the stone tape I'm, i must go back and look at it uh and i watched it again probably on probably on the dvd release and again i i just really didn't like it i had a very very strong uh, and and not because of the you know I'm I'm quite a tough old bird I can I can sit and watch a ghost story and go oh that was scary and have a couple of nightmares and you know and a gin and tonic and be fine um, but I didn't I, I something in me reacted very strongly uh, to this storytelling and then um, I did a broadcast about Neil at the end of last year and um, uh, I thought okay I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back to this again because it is. I mean, I think Pitt is probably his masterpiece, but it is his other masterpiece, or kind of received wisdom is that. Uh, and I went back and I, I again, I really struggled. I, I think what I really struggled with this time, and I know it's part of the, the point, I really struggled with the sexism that's on screen. I, yeah. I really struggled with the racism that's on screen. And I know you're not meant to like him. <laughs> But it was still, it was still really, it was really quite shocking. It was sort of, whoa, I, that's, you'd, you'd give a warning on that kind of thing now. Um, and, um, and again, I had this, I think there are really, there's some quite angry tweets from me from uh, maybe October 2019 going, I hate the stone tape so much. I hate it. I can't bear it. Um, so obviously when you invited me on, I said, oh, I got to do the stone tape then, you know, so I can shout about it. And then I watched it last night for this. I kind of rewatched it again. I thought I'll, I'll watch it fresh. I was going to rewatch it anyway. I'm going to watch it very fresh. And I liked it more, <laughs> possibly because I knew I knew I could There's kind of expectation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can just filter that bit out now and concentrate on on what he's doing and what he's trying to do. Um, but it, but again, um, I I do hit a wall with the storytelling. And we, we can come back to that unless there's a what what was what's your kind of reaction coming back to it now? Is it a similar It's it's interesting, actually. Um I around last year, one of the nicest things that ever happened on the internet to me happened where you had a an artist, an illustrator, who had bought a copy of my book about folk horror. Mm. and had decided to do a book of illustrations based mm. upon the essential works from my book about folk horror mm. which That's was fantastic lo- yeah but That's they amazing. they yeah they uh, they released it on their patreon um, and and she's called Lise Richardson and she mm. does fantastic funny little comics and all sorts of things um and she released each one as it came out on the patreon she wrote a paragraph about each one cuz she did the illustration mm. on watching them based upon reading my book, which was lovely. And the stone tape, she hated. She did a lovely illustration of the stone tape, but she hated it because she just could not get past the sexism and racism in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just couldn't, couldn't, you know, and it's, and I mean, this is something, writing a lot about films mm. and TV from the 70s and 80s and 60s and before, um, sometimes even when they're showing mm. sexism and racism, they're still having to do it. Yeah. And even now, you know, you try to show sexism and racism, you end up do doing sexism yeah. and racism. And it's rare that you actually manage to show these things and the consequences of them without doing them. And it, I think it's one of the most difficult things. I call this the um, black eyes phenomenon, the, the Dennis Potter um, yeah, okay. one yeah. about okay. um, exploitation, uh, which I think performs the, the thing that it's trying to critique. 
I think the stone tape's more complicated yes. because it clearly this is you know you're, you're meant to think this is appalling man yeah <laughs> oh this, he's a monster yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean yeah he's awful you know he's, he's he's dreadful he's up there with um you know um Alison Stedman's character in Abigail's party he's awful um but at the same time I think I think there are there are subtler things going on that, that in the storytelling that I find um not problematic but but a missed opportunity um it surely goes without saying I'm not saying that, that Neil was a racist or a misogynist or anything like, blah, 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 all that all that nonsense. no 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 um I tell you something when you watch it though you go my god I can see now why women in the 1970s were so angry <laughs> really you sort of look at it and go this is this must have been all the time this kind of stuff uh and um well, it was though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just... right through to the eighties. I mean, I Easily, remember this yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This that's going to happen now, but be less, uh, sometimes less yeah. overtly. You wouldn't have a scene, at least in television, you wouldn't have a scene where uh, the male lead playfully sexually assaults the female lead in a party scene. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly that. And that was um, a, that was a, even last night. I'd kind yeah. of blanked that bit. I, yeah. I saw that last night. I went, oh my god. Uh, and 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 yes, he's monstrous, uh, and and yes, he's terrible. These are all things that we are meant to meant to hate about him. But at the same time, I think uh, I think my problem kind of comes from the fact that that the the basically aren't women on screen, so there's not a counterweight to it. It's just the one. The the pretty is yeah. much just the one. You have a you have a wife that you don't hear. Uh, you, you don't hear her voice at all, do you? She's, no, she's just, no, she never speaks. Just there's, on the phone. there's the the two women that work behind the bar, which yeah, are which are a kind yeah. of classic sort yeah. of Neil pub scene, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then you have you have somebody who's ordered to get coffee, and then you next you see her. She's she's semi clad. <laughs> she's she's getting she's getting out of Brock's bed, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And then at, and then at the, the the heart of this, you've got Jill, and Jill is a. a, a it's a really problematic character, I think, because, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, um, so there's, there's lots that's interesting, uh, I think. I mean, you've got this setup, haven't you? You've obviously got, um, you know, rationalism against intuition, uh, you know, emotion, uh, uh, intellect against emotion. And I do think it actually plays really well with that. You know, she's a computer programmer. She's brilliant. You know, he talks about her having a clever brain. Uh, so he appreciates her intellect uh, and her dedication, her hard work. I mean, he's using it, obviously, because he's a, he's a bounder. Um, and, and he's clearly the hysteric here. You know, I mean, I, I think I think that's absolutely signaled, isn't it? You know, he, oh, yeah. he's the one who's out of control, who can't control him, can't control his own dick, for one thing. I hope we're a sweary podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. Th there's nothing about himself, really, that's about Brock that's under control. But ultimately, when I watch the stone tape, what I see is uh, 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 we see a story of a man's ruin, a man brought to ruin. Yes. But it's done over the dead body of a woman. And, and, and that ultimately is what I find very hard to stomach about the stone tape, I think. And it's, it's a brilliant piece of television. I mean, we, we sat down to watch it last night 
and we tied it. I've got a, a six and a half year old daughter, and we're living in a flat. And I said, we've we've really got to make sure she cannot hear this at all, because <laughs> I don't want I don't want that scream filtering into her subconscious in any way. So we're watching it on quite low sound, and it, and it's brilliant. And I, and I, I, we're kind of watching it, and I'm going, I bet we're half an hour in now because we've got we've just had a twist. Uh, you know, something's twisted. I bet we're now an hour in because something else is twisted and it's clockwork, beautifully written. The videotape is fantastic. You know, me in 1991 was an idiot, you know? It's, the, the videotape <laughs> is brilliant. Uh, the, the virtue they make of the sort of, um, uh, of, of the tape, of the OB, of the, of the smallness, of the sound, of those visual effects at the end, which are, you know, Best will in the world, lads. They're not Star Wars, but they're great. No. They're really eerie and frightening. Mm. It's technically phenomenal, and yet it all happens over a woman's corpse, and I can't, I can't get past that. <laughs> I really, really can't. Yeah. It's, when you, uh, so when you first saw it in uh, in 1991, 92, whatever, um, you presumably had heard about it. So was there any expectation of what you thought? This is this is the greatest. I, I think it had been I think it'd been sold to me as you know an, an absolute it, it, you've got to see this this is this is a landmark of television it's right. a landmark of um, British telefantasy it's a it's a it's a major uh, it's a thing you want to see you know it's part of your education uh, not part of your education but oh you, you know you've really got to see this this is this is this is the real deal I think this op- this often happens to women. I think mm. <laughs> speaking as a woman, oh. you kind of you kind of get you kind of get given. Oh, this is this is absolutely the you know you've got to, and you kind of go, oh, I, I'm not sure I'm the, I, I can't participate in this in as uncomplicated a way. I think uh, because my point of identification on this is 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 there to be the sacrificial lamb. And I, I, Neil is too clever a writer for that not to have occurred to him. So I, I know that the stone tape is um, everything that is foul about Brock and everything that is, that is foul about um, uh, a, a relentless behaviour, use of others, um, uh, the, the way he treats it, all of that I know we are critiquing. But I would love the feminist take on this. I would love someone to... I'd love one, someone to, to work out how to tell the feminist version of this story. I actually think he has a shot at it slightly later on because I watched Moraine last week. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it's, it's a minor piece of work in comparison. Yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's a 50-minute, you know, it's done on a shoestring sort of thing. It's beautifully done. It's beautifully constructed. But just at the end, I, we could go into spoilers, can't we? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. People have come this far. I can't. It's a 45-year-old piece <laughs> yeah, of television. Yeah, I know, I know, but I hadn't seen it. So, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to, but anyway, anyway, people, there are spoilers for uh, 1975, Nigel Neal play Moraine <laughs> coming. But that moment where, uh, you know, the, the, the witch, as we think she is, is standing on her doorstep and her enemy, the you know, the patriarch runs towards her. Bernard Lee from M from James Bond. Yeah, and he runs Mr. Beely. Yeah. Mr. Beely puts up her hand and he drops dead and she just screams, Yes! I thought I'm here. I'm here for <laughs> I'm here for witches screaming over the corpses of their, <laughs> persecutors. <laughs> their, their persecutors. I'm here for this. 
and that's what I wanted Jill Greeley to be able to do in uh, in the stone tape. I wanted her screaming over the corpse of Brock. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I'm quite I'm quite easy to please. I think in many many ways. So that that ultimately is kind of my my beef with the stone tape. I think um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. Mm. I'm just <laughs> I'm just if you hadn't seen, presumably you hadn't seen any other Nigel Neal Ben before that you hadn't seen a quite or had didn't really have to before the stone tape i'd yeah. seen um i'd definitely seen um Quatermass, the uh, the itv one because i watched okay. that as a kid uh i, I don't know how is it's what 1970 is it 78 79 it was 79 just pulled push back because after the itv yes. strike so it's yep. awesome 79 so i am i am seven rising eight so it, it's like, you know, I've often said, how did you get to watch The Professionals? Mm. You were you were six, you know. <laughs> and again, I think it's one of those things that I, I'm the youngest of six kids. And I think I was broadly feral, you know, by that point. There were, there were so many people running around that you just sort of loosely kept an eye on what I was watching on television. Um, so for some reason, I watched I watched quite a mass. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I just uh, it was a really, uh, you know, um, abiding memory. And I, I can't remember. I think. I think I'd seen um, some bits of Quatermass on a Lime Grove season, maybe in '91. They 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 found oh, when they when they did they were closing yeah. down when they were closing down Lime Grove. Yeah, they yeah. they showed uh, uh, some episodes. Uh, I think I think Quatermass Two, the TV show, was filmed at Lime Grove. Yes, so, yeah, it was. indeed so, live. And I think they transmitted an episode, uh, mm. and, which I saw, and I suspect I'd watched. I'd watched Pitts the film. It's always right, tricky because yeah. because obviously television in the eighties was was rubbish, mm. and you just tried to catch things as they were on. But um, yes. so yeah. Sorry, so I, I, go on. The reason I'm so I knew on. Nigel Neal, um, mm. but I probably hadn't had the opportunity to because it's that little moment just before everything's been released. Mm. Uh, in any format so uh, far ahead what you well, I was trying to thinking there is there uh, an expectation of how he might deal with certain things and I'm thinking of the stories in which there are stronger female characters in particular Moraine and um, mm. during Barty's party um, come later uh, yeah. and looking at the female characters in any of the Quatermass stories mm. do they fulfill Barbara in Pitt mm. um has a pivotal role in that she's able to use the um, uh, the, the mind telly, uh, mm. but, but it's, it just seems a bit quaint that it's the woman who's a sensitive one, and this is what we have here yeah. with, with yeah. Jill. Uh, famously, it's uh, it's shot at um, Horsley Towers. Um, mm. Kingswood Warren is obviously his inspiration. He goes there. The, the, the BBC Research Centre likes the idea of these quite young group of you know, men. Mm. Doing cutting edge research in the world, cutting edge, but doing uh, research on big, quite big stuff, but quite enjoying themselves with it, and there being an easy camaraderie. Him trying to, to bring that in, um, but needing a woman to fit the, into into the piece in the way that she yeah. doesn't doesn't fit into the boys' at play. Yeah. Um, and yet, it's um, it's filmed at uh, Horsey Towers, where presumably he knew um, mm. Ada Lovelace. Uh, yep. Ada Lovelace uh, lived and you know. Invented, invented computer programming. Yep, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Which is just happy chance, presumably. She's fantastic, completely yeah. brilliant. And so I think I think really from the start, um, 
Jill Jill functions not not as a character. She she functions as a symbolic space. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's she's sensitive. She's, she's sensitive. She's, she's, a woman. she's a woman. Yeah, she's she's anima. Yeah, okay. She, but she's not she's right. not human. She's not a human being. <laughs> she's not a human being. And it, it, it and it's there from the opening moment. I think of that that crash, and you're going, oh, just put the thing in reverse woman <laughs> mm. <laughs> just respond and i and i know it's i i, I know we're partly that we're being asked to say well oh, something's gone wrong here you know um, yeah. uh because uh, uh, she's already kind of picking up vibes mm. isn't she um but I, I think right from that moment she's sort of uh she's she's operating in a in a it, it, you know yeah in a symbolic space she's there she's there to be uh the foil for um the scientists so the the rational activity, the boys' club. She's there to be this sort of um, conduit uh, for what's happening, to represent emotion, and and ultimately, as I say, to be the to be the device by which Brock achieves a sort of hideous self-realization or self-knowledge. Um, but he should die for it. <laughs> she shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What happened to Jackie? Hey, you said just now. We never done nothing to him. It was the door got stuck. That door. He was inside the room. We never meant. We couldn't help it, could we? He's all right, old Jackie. Did he see it? He made out it spoke to him. Then the others come. The others? It was just his talk, see. What happened to him? He's all right. He's got this job, hasn't he? Can I meet him? What for? He don't remember. They took him up the county. Where? The county, you know. They put him right. They can do that. He don't care a button. He, he just laughs all the time. He's all right. In the commentary to, to Stone Tape, Kim Newman alludes to that when he says to, to, says to, to, to Neil, you know, it's, it's, it's a brave decision to have fundamentally unlikable character as the main character but do you think that's a mistake should they have should they have just made him nicer and oh, no, then they no. should have it as well but it's no 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 it's a great um it's a great sort of uh it's a great horror performance isn't it the, the horror is him really i mean the the screams are frightening and uh and things like um sort of um wounds and trauma from from prehistory are, are inherently a frightening concept but the mm. but the monster is is brock because we've all met him, haven't we? You know, we've all we've all had to work for him, or um, you know, we've 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 all sat in a meeting with him, or um, uh, and he and he is he's monstrance. Um, so no, 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 I, d I don't want the stone tape to be to be different in in any way. Um, uh, but I can watch it and and think um, there's a there's a there's another kind of story here, uh, which is one that I would be. Would be here to watch. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be really here to see, because um, sometimes I, I think I sort of experience uh, 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 books and art and literature as as almost like I'm watching something that 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 isn't entirely from my. Um, uh, it's like I'm on an alien planet or something, and I and I'm and I'm watching a product of a, of another species. Uh, <clears throat> so lots of kind of daddy son stories that you you get again and again and again. Um, and I kind of think I, I have to pick my way through this to to see uh, where I would function in this narrative, or, or what what pieces I can assemble 
to to make meaning from this piece of art or literature. Um, so I, I don't want the stone tape changed in any way. No, no, it completely lose its edge if if Brot was any different. Um, but but wouldn't, um, you, wouldn't you like to see a different ending where Brock dies and not Jill? I don't think it would be that. I haven't quite worked out. Yeah, this is the thing. I haven't quite worked out what it is I want to see. I want to, we're, we're nearly there with with old old mother, what's her name, and Moraine just screaming this kind of, you know, this this. it's almost like a healing scream, isn't it? It's uh, some kind of trauma has been released and um, yes. spoken, enunciated. And it doesn't matter in Moraine whether the magic is true or not. Mm. They all believe it does. Mm. And and he does, the, you know, the, our, our, it's great on class as well, Moraine. It's great on sort of um, middle-class busybodies and social workers. Uh, I'll come and, the, the, you know, the ladies from the council will come. They'll bring you tea bags. You yeah. know, that, that, will, that will solve everything that's going on here. Um, and, aside, and I, did, didn't David Simeon deserve a better career? I've seen him in... Three or four things. He's in. He's in the minor yeah. role in a couple of Doctor Who's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's the he's the guy who's late in the first series, the first episode, the first scene of Forty Towers. Um, <laughs> right. And he's and he's, he's he's the lead in this, and he's he's brilliant. He's really good. He is excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, very, yeah. very good. Yeah. Um, so I, I, don't, I, I don't. I maybe I should try it. You know, fem, uh, sort of feminist stone tape in space or something. Go, I think a... you really should. I mean, I can't <laughs> think of anyone who's better got if the stones. To anybody's do it. anybody commissioning? Then I'm uh, I'm here to uh, I'm here to do that. Yeah, I did this once on Twitter. Yeah, that's So I haven't put my. Um, I th- we mentioned before we started recording this. Uh, there's a very good essay that Mark Fisher did about um, the stone tape, um, and he he uh, he sort of puts it alongside Alan Garner's um, Redshift. Uh, and talks of them right. both as as narratives of sort of deep trauma, deep historical trauma. Uh, and I think what I, I I think what I would like to see, and the Stone Tape doesn't have to provide me with this, and you know it's my business to write the stories that that matter to me. I, I'd like to see the the sort of narratives that that begin the truth and reconciliation, not even the healing, but the naming of the trauma, the identifying of the trauma, uh, the identifying of the victim. Yeah. Yes. Um, the voice yeah, of the okay. victim. And that's why I think her scream at the end of Moraine is so powerful. It's not a no. It's a yes. Yeah. Say yes. Something has been named. Something has been um, expiated, exercised. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. And Garner does this in, um, so he compares it to uh, uh, Redshift, which mm. is a I don't know if you guys have read Redshift. Is it? Uh, yeah, no, I love Redshift. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's a long time since I've really got to go back. But he, the the book of Garner's that I think does do this is Owl Service, where um, the very last line of, and again, we we, we should now have spoilers for the Owl Service. <laughs> the very last line of it, you feel like you've um, been given the last line of a of an incantation that breaks the spell. So Owl Service is about this sort of this love triangle and trauma that they're reenacting, which we're meant to feel has been reenacted again and again and again and again and again through history. But somebody does something differently this time and that ends it. You you feel like there's going to be healing and growth and change and movement and progression. And I just said, I'm getting tingly thinking about the Owl Service. And I think when I watch the stone stone tape, I see the, the suffering happen again. And I think I've, 
I've probably seen that happen, but I haven't seen that shift to the breaking of the spell. I haven't seen what's... become the latest layer rather than... Exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Something something hasn't... Uh, somebody's not found the word... The, the counterspell, yeah. yeah, the incantation to, to break the counterspell that will come back. And yes, it's, it's close to it at the end of Moraine, I think. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, um, maybe maybe I need to go and, and think about this and, um, and write it. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody will email me now and say, oh, you've got to read X, Y or Z or uh, you've not read enough contemporary feminist ghost stories, which are true. So... <laughs> Or indeed, uh, you know, maybe there, are, maybe there's women's weird fiction that I, I just haven't dipped into. So um, maybe those stories are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll find it. I'll find it. <laughs> I find it curious within the, that it's well, I assume this is this assume this is deliberate, but it's a long time before anyone really can, as in anyone, as in the characters, consider what, why the maid is screaming, what she's running from. You get very early on; she's twisted until you see her. When you see the image, the flickering image of her, that she's clearly reacting to something. And it becomes a revelation that once she has been wiped and the next layer down, the next onion, which is also, I mean, Stephen Falk invokes this really well in, in yeah. Stone Tape, layers of onion la- mm-hmm. pulling back layers of, of haunting of, mm-hmm. and when you only see the surface. Mm-hmm. But it's it's no one seems to consider that... Uh, yeah, it's on. it's only Jill, isn't it, who yeah. sort of says, you know, we, you've got to remember this was a human being. This mm-hmm. the, What we're hearing is is a person's pain and terror and fear and we we barely know her name or we we barely know her circumstances and um we we have to struggle um to imagine them actually this was a game i that i love playing with 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 shows like this and I, and I played it with the stone tape last night i love sort of extrapolating the backstories of the people that we get so i kind of you kind of go well what what has made brock this this person mm. was it was it a war experience no, actually, you kind of and you kind of got rule of well. Let's let's pretend Brock has got the same date of birth as you know the the actor. Yeah, and you go. Well, he probably didn't. He, that means he probably didn't serve in the war. No. So there's probably some kind of performance anxiety, yeah, going on, or you know, a, a father who was in the trenches or something. So it's a game I'm constantly playing, and and, and I do it with Jill, uh, and I, and I do it with Collie as well. Um, but but Brock is interesting in that respect, and. and and Jill, you you have to do that work with. I think you have to sort of think, well, what what has brought these people here? And then I can try and make sense of them as people. What's yeah, been we, the making of them? We haven't talked about we haven't talked about Collie, uh, Ian Cuthbertson in a rare, very sympathetic role. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you see that he brings to to the? He is the by far the most sympathetic of the of the of the, of the male characters. Ultimately, he, I think he still fails Jill. Yeah. Um, he's you get the backstory that he's particularly upset by the by the screaming because his wife died in a car crash, and you yeah. get you get that trauma link, although it's it's played in a, in a very different way to how it to how it always runs. Mm. Um, but what what sort of function do you see Colby having on the on, on on the narrative? Is he just so there's some there's a nice bloke? Um, well, first of all, isn't it interesting that we've got a, a dead wife there yes, as his yeah, character motivation? Yeah. That's the first thing I think. Oh, there we go. Shorthand to male characterization. <laughs> dead wife. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Human pain. Dead woman. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, uh, guys. Um, but, but I, it's, uh, yes, it's a really. He, he's the only person there, I think, that sees her as as a human being. Or, or uh, uh, some of the some of the young men, I think, you see start to, and I think by the end. You, you've maybe seen an awakening in their eyes that they didn't, they haven't treated this woman as a person. 
Collie, again, we, we kind of, I, I started backstorying him that, you know, he's a little bit older. He's a, a little bit more gentlemanly. He would never treat, you know, he'd never grab a woman. He wouldn't, no. he wouldn't do that kind of thing. It's not that kind of, it's not that kind of generation. But, but chivalry and um, kindliness and paternalism aren't, again, giving somebody agency, the, the, the putting yourself in a protective role. And I think that possibly is why he, why he fails her. But um, uh, there has to be a, I mean, structurally, there needs to be a, a, there needs to be a triangle in that way. I think it just, it's just a very effective way of of doing the drama. And he's, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice performance from him. It's really, uh, because he comes on screen, you immediately go, oh, villain. And they go, oh, no, I don't (laughs) hang on a minute so ah this is one of the twists and reveals so um uh yeah but there's something and his 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 room his little office is just Mm. a little off center and it's it's not those cold lines there's a little you know something a bit crumbling and um um i I can't fault the i cannot fault the stone tape in its writing or in its execute it's faultless it really is um but I still wish <laughs> these other things at the same time. So that's that's what I think Collie is that, that he's he's providing that that dramatic triangle. Um, but also, yeah. Oh, sorry. But 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 also the crumbling nature of mm. that sort of thing. The fact that they're all a bit down at heel is kind of one of the other themes mm. of the thing because you have this whole undertone or at least rationale behind it, the driving thing behind it of the failure of British industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the failure of British industry is kind of tied with the fact that they're all monsters, yeah. even the ones <laughs> who don't want to be monsters. Yeah. And um, you have, you know, he's, you know, I mean, he's, he, he even throws slurs at his boss. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. But um, when the I was the doing the only research, thing you're definitely sure about his boss is he's Irish because it's himself. Yeah. He's said constantly himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, yeah, when I was doing some research for this, mm. I discovered that the first commercially available video recorder was British. It was yep. the Philips VCR, and it was crap. <laughs> it, 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 it had tapes that it were badly first. made. It was first. <laughs> I'm <but> British. <laughs> it couldn't be reverse engineered. Right. To be, um, it couldn't be reverse engineered to be compatible with American television. Right. Yeah. So it couldn't do um, NTSC because we're pal in their NTSC, isn't yep. it? Or is yep. it? I always get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it couldn't do that unless you had to like take the whole thing apart. The tapes broke and tangled all the time. And more importantly, because it was made in Britain, um, it cost, and this is 1972 it came out, mm-hmm. £300. Pounds. That's a lot of money. Which seven, eight, seven, eight grand. could have bought you yeah it could have bought you a mini apparently yeah 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 i think my, um, my my parents bought their house in 1966 because they moved in my mother remembers because they moved in uh, it was a world cup match and everybody the removal van guys and my dad and brother sat while she kind of moved <laughs> the furniture in. so i don't know if it's a final or a semi so it's definitely 66 yeah. And they bought their house for four thousand quid, and that was a. There you a, go. Yeah, yeah. So three hundred. You're talking about a substantial. A big part chunk of, of a mortgage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, but you see, there's where Crawshaw comes in. Yeah. Because you're going to talk about Crawshaw, but Crawshaw comes in, and the first thing of substance we hear about him mm. 
is that he's building this all singing, all dancing, washing, washer dryer. And Brock's like, well, it's going to cost 900 quid. And 900 knicker, I believe he says. And this is, it's the, it's the Philips VCR also all over again. Do you think it is though? Do you think that they, uh, do you think that they, uh, you see, I have a sneaking suspicion that the washing machine wins out because he's playing the long game with this washing machine. And uh, uh, I, I think that in 10 years or 15 years, he scaled it down and the, the Crawshaw Washomatic takes. <laughs> but in the short term. In the short term, it's not a. In the short term, I mean, the washing machine wins. The washing yeah, yeah. It's the only winner in the drama. Yeah. I really. think, well, we, I mean, we don't know what happens to Ryan. I think the, um, well, actually, we're going to say they, they, they make um, iPhones. <laughs> for, the, for the sake of the viewers, I'm holding up my uh, my iPhone case, which is Ryan made electronics, which I've got a um, uh, red bubble. Um, but I like, as far as the, the washer concerns, I like to think the Crawshaw, uh, and by the way, I love the fact Crawshaw looks like looks like a mad evil scientist in his work yes. washing machine. <laughs> Um, whereas um, Brock looks like a businessman and he's working at the absolute cutting edge of, like, of, of, audio, of audio visual technology. Yeah. Um, I like to think that uh, Corshaw has just made the decision, look, everyone will always, there'll always be a market for washing machines. This is like, whereas Brock going for the big one, if he fails, there's nothing. I've always got a future in designing a washing, there will always and be. Domestic, domestic labour saving devices. Yeah. He's, he's practically the feminist. Yeah. He? <laughs> <laughs> now, Ryan, I'm really interested in because I, 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 you think was, because uh, yeah, obviously we never see him anything, we only, no. you know, you hear him mocked. Uh, and um, I want to know where the money's come from. Where's he, where's Ryan's money from? Because Ireland isn't doing brilliantly in 1972. So no, but there's there's a there's a weird, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into this. There's a weird, uh, I don't know, to say anti-Irish, but a theme. I'm just thinking of Halloween three, um, okay. originally scripted by Neil, where an Irish family owns the whole town that makes the um, the, the Halloween masks, and they're they're oh, right. they're, 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 they're of Irish descent. I always think it's a return to it's a family that you wouldn't necessarily go for. Oh, don't they moved over to the to the uh, the to, yeah. to America for their fortunes? And I'm wondering, and it might play out with timescales and phone calls, whether he's based in the US. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that would work. Yeah, and that he's of, he's of Irish descent. Um, right. Okay. As well. That yeah. again is just something I've, I've I've played with as well, rather than saying you know, it's in 1972 Ireland was. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I, I couldn't see where the I couldn't see where the money would be otherwise. But yeah, it it would have to be a uh, it would have to be. Then it then it's odd to not mock him for being a yank. I, I think. suppose yeah, yeah, I know as well. Uh, but maybe he's come back from maybe he's come back and now based yeah. in London. But, but you see, I'm... you see the knots I get myself into, sort of speculating about the backstories of characters. But the, it must be meaningful in some way. The, the people, you don't. Even if you make these decisions subconsciously as a writer, you're 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 tapping into something, um, and that's really interesting about Halloween Three. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. Maybe it's something to do with um, the Manx context as well. Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. but he's but Neil constantly like expands characters more than more than he needs to. Mm. Um, even just uh, throwing aside so all those bits to 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 the to the wife and talking about the kid on the phone. Uh, yeah, and angry stuff he throws at Jim, like when the dog's got a toothache or something like that as well. Neil's so great at the minutiae of, of, yeah. character, of characters, like, but he's definitely main characters. Yeah, um, he reuses some of the best stuff in Pit in this, with where you've got the uh, 
the kids talking about, you know, when the policeman in Pitt talks about going in the house and being, being scared as a child. Here we get one of like an absolutely mocking, uh, sneering Brock getting Aaron, that's it, yes. Yep. Michael Grant Clark's, uh, you know, as a, a mocking a yokel. I mean, like yokel. Where are we? You know, it's not. It's not like we're in. It's not like we're in in the in, in the Scottish Highlands. We're not then miles from nowhere. We're, we're just we're surrounded by countryside. But it's not. It's not so. So, yeah. but we get this yokel who was like, who is what? Come on, you're a country boy. You know the sounds rats make, and the guy's terrified to go back yeah. in the room, and he hears it, and he loses his shit completely. Mm. Like there's raw primal fear. Uh, again, it's it's borrowed, but it, it's borrowed from Quaid. Fine, it it it, 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 yeah, it, it, it it works incredibly well. There's and there's 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's um, but it's somewhere where um, you've got him trying to explain sort of mm. this is what it really means to people that don't necessarily matter to the story, but yeah. colour the world in which you live so that you understand the threat in a wider perspective. Yeah, if, if, if that makes. Sense. He does it with the policeman for one scene. Yep. Talk, we'll talk about it. Here we have it more directly. It's a guy who's no, not an authority figure going back, telling him about it. He doesn't want to be there. He's making jokes. We used to smash windows like kids did. Uh, in those days, he makes he makes jokes about the uh, the old bat about the back of the club just to, just to throw in anti women stuff for you for you there, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and but the, the point but 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 the, the, the point being that the terror and the danger yeah. exists in that room. Is fundamentally demonstrated by Alan's 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 reaction, and it's good that Neil peppers and populates his. his it's a classic. Like it's a classic Neil secondary character, yeah. isn't it? That yeah. that's absolutely. He's only in, he's only in two scenes, and that that's yeah. and about the kid that stayed in there. He's happy. All he does is laugh. Yeah, All, yeah. He's happy. He's basically he's. You know, Driven mad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really, really good. Um, Michael Graham Cox, of course, is the uh, uh, radio uh, adaptation of Lord of the Rings. He's Boromir, so uh, is he? Uh, he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's right. the sh the Sean Bean of uh, the radio. <laughs> so uh, wow. no, yeah. There's I did a, not get that impression when I, there's when I watched a, it as well. There's a fact for you. There, there you go, fact file for uh, for my Tol wealth of Tolkien knowledge. But no, that's a that's a phenomenal. Uh, that's just great. Also, he's got one of those um, 70s character actor faces in it as well, hasn't he? He's got yeah, he's, he's got he's got he's got, he's got the hair cho literally the chops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's brilliant, and it, it just shows you I, because I do think it's really good. I know, I mean, I've grumbled a lot, um, but but the. That's so skilled. Like you say, two scenes and, and oh, this is absolutely terrible. I think that's the moment where I kind of said, we've got to pause and it's, uh, yeah, we're bang on 30 minutes. I think that's that's the first um, the first turn. She's running from something. The footsteps. Always running. Probably old task of coming to pinch her bum. Three times round the table and the girl is mine. <laughs> she died. It's really getting to you, isn't it? Jill. Be afraid like that. You afraid of all this? No, I don't think so. Well then, it's just the thought of it, of there being nothing left of you but just enough to repeat the worst moment of your life over and over again. That doesn't happen. But if it did, if we she knew, talked about it. We all agreed. Could there be anything there that knows? Not in my book. Just a dead mechanism. That's all there is left. It's horrible, but it's better than knowing. You could you could it, run yeah. this as a three-part serial of half an hour. Mm. I think was, yeah, as yeah. well. Is there an argument that this is a Quatermass story without Quatermass? You have this thing throughout 
most obviously the Quetinas, but throughout the, the idea of central authority um, losing control and there being That's interesting and yeah. there being something fundamentally scary when the most senior in control figure loses control and yeah. you and, and you don't know what to do now with Quatermass you have he's never the, he's the authority figure he's always dealing with something that's beyond his expertise but he's trying his best in a situation yeah. that's yeah. that the control that's that's fundamentally where the drama lies but there's always an authority figure that scuppers yeah. him that does it as well here but here without Quatermass you've just got book and the nearest there is to Quatermass yeah is but she doesn't have the agency well, I think I actually think that the Quatermass is dispersed within the three of them because mm -hmm. the decency is over in uh, Collie, isn't it? So it's like everything that everything that that if integrated would constitute Quatermass is is is. But it's like uh, let's go all Freudian yeah. and say you know the id is over there and the mm. ego is there and the super ego is here. And um, none of that is integrated into Quatermass. You got let's let's run with this. What the hell? You got the you got the ego over in Brock. You've got the id with Jill. And you've got the super ego over in Collie. And none of it is uh, kind of integrated uh, into 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 Quatermass, which would be the the functioning sort of units of uh, uh, of a, a functioning human being from that functioning small group, functioning society, and and everything is dissolving here. And, and you're right, we're, we're, you know, British society is starting to crumble around it, British industry and British technical solutions, and, you know, sort of track and trace apps and things, you know, all of these are kind of declining and collapsing around, yeah, so... Um, well, I have theories about that, but I've gone into them at length on previous occasions, <laughs> so I won't bore you with them. We've, but we've, we've but yes, a, basically. Yeah. The, fo the folk horror that will come five years from now, I think, is going to be a, a rich vein. But uh, but yeah, I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it as a kind of um, antiquator mass. Um, but the absence of that kind of figure, I, I guess the, I guess then the next we would see would be in the ITV, wouldn't it? Quatermass is there, but he is... Um, Defanged, he is not powerful. He is. Um, this, is yeah. quite, this is quite a mass retirement. This is quite a mass pulled out of society. This is society. Yeah. It's gone too far. His only interest in that is finding his granddaughter. Yes, exactly. So, um, so he's not. He's no longer able or interested well, to do. Uh, Are we in this case making a case for cinematic Neelaverse at this point? <laughs> not quite, because I'd like to see exactly how Quatermass ages um, from from fifty yeah. three to seventy nine. Um, but where I do draw parallels with that is uh, with with using the film's quite about is is Doctor Who's story uh, Kevin's Andrew's Army. But 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 Spider Man was seventeen in nineteen sixty three and he's still seventeen. Who's talking about Spider Man? Please tell me you get what I'm talking about. Marvel crap. Right. Yes, but it's I, it we need to know where it connects to the St. Elsewhere universe and that uh, that dream. <laughs> <laughs> one of the I famously don't famously he's that's hubris. I, notably I I, I don't for the, for the 14 people that uh, know who I am. I really don't like Houston films quite a mess anywhere near as much. I don't hate it, but there's nowhere near as much as the as the as the as the, as the Cartier ones. And one of the things in that is where it just doesn't have a strong central premise um, yeah uh, and even in, it's maybe even worse in the film where they have to take out the whole bit of Quatermass talking with the, the perfumer mm. and you get the musk bit you get the this yeah. is this, they're doing this as a delicacy later later on uh, developing things like you know, mm. the skin um 
But with Quatermass's mission to only be to find one person and get out, I remember thinking, when I first saw it much later, before Case Van der Zandt, this is like, and it, would, and it works, there's more, there's, I think there's more effect in Case Van der Zandt because there's far more Doctor Who's of a constant thing as well. But here, yeah. Robert Holmes writes the antithesis of the Doctor Who story, where the Doctor, at least what Doctor Who was at that time, where the Doctor has no agency, the Doctor isn't interested. And I, I think Davison's quote is, I just got caught up in this pathetic local war. He just wants to get Perry out alive. That's I mean, it. I mean the Eastern Quatermass, he, no one's seen any Quatermass for 12 years. Yeah. yeah Haven't yeah. had like 20 years of of successive stories. No. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're, but that's still, the, 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 the total interest is that Quatermass was an authority figure. His authority is challenged uh, mm. by, by people who, 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 who either know better or people who have different agendas and he is one part of, a, of, of, of the establishment. But you know, and thus the establishment had yeah. many, many conflicting things. You want, you want to work on this? You want the funding? Well, build me a nuclear defence system. Mm. Uh, no, that's not what I want it for. Fuck it, mate. Look at the geopolitics of the world. You need to build and you can't stand outside as a pacifist, whether that, that or not is true. That's the sort of real politique of, of, of the rocket group's world. That doesn't matter. Comes out there, and the rocket, and you know, whatever's being done in space now is like totally destroyed by aliens. And there's, there's, there's weird space bits I never quite believe in yeah. the way that I that I do, even in a far poorer product, production value that is with, with Quatermass 2. There's something a bit, I find something a bit silly about the, the, the space sequences in, in, in use mm. films, but nevertheless, you're dealing with a central character who doesn't have agency, and that's. Yeah, there's a, a very very small role rather than saving the world is almost the only. There's a haziness team. throughout, isn't there? Yeah. I think uh, with the quota, and, yeah. I, and I don't, yeah, it's to do with its long genesis and you know yeah. all these sort of things. Oh, yeah, sure, that plays into the things that, 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 don't that's, pull. That's but interesting, but here, and this is a year before they were going to do the fourth quota mass with mm. the BBC, where before you know, uh, visual effects department were doing, were preparing to film the, the spaces, the model shots, but mm. here we have a story where no one has the agency of Quatermass except Brock, and he's essentially the villain of the piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's and is, and is out of control. He's, yeah. you know, and uh, when he loses it, uh, there's, 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 no, there's no hope for Jill. Nothing um, is going to go. And, no. and Crawshaw can roll in. I think he's like fought in brass at the end of Hamlet. You yeah. know, he kind of rolls in with his... It's nothing to do with the main story. He just wants <laughs> in, but he's but essentially last man standing to see everything. Exactly his, that. His, would not been doing. Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, I, which I, I think is interesting as, as an interesting as a starting point. For, look, this is this is often you've wanted to see that what happens when Tom Baker goes off and suddenly isn't there to save to save the unit every week. Yeah. This is, this is what happens when something that Quatermass wouldn't do. That happens in Doctor Who in Turn Left, doesn't it? It does, yeah. 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 Very much uh, yeah. But that's deliberately shown as a, an alternative. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rusty, we hardly knew you. <laughs> yeah, I remember being really upset when Sarah Jane dies in, in that. In, 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 in I, was, I was really, really gutted. She dies on this. She dies on this uh, is it the. Um, Alternative um, Smith and Jones, where she goes to the moon yeah. with Jadoon and they, they die on there. Torchwood yeah. and wiped out on the Centaur and War Wheel because the Doctor wasn't in Poison Sky. Have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, everyone, you know, they, can, they can do it, but they have to make the ultimate sacrifice because they're not. Yeah. The there was, you know, it was, oh, and, this, and the, um, the Titanic crashes into the sky. <laughs> so there's a nuclear explosion in my, in the, in the, I mean, let's really work this yeah. one through I, mean, yeah. Howard, I don't see you don't see you creasing at a, at a nuclear explosion in Mayfair 
Um, which is what you're thinking. No comment. Lot, 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 of, lot of security guards, lot of service personnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In, you know, I mean, I don't want anybody really to be nuked. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, we've we've got guillotines. We don't need nukes. It's a, it's a much cleaner solution, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't fit with the turn left. We no, 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 You don't have space guillotines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although space guillotines, I'm sure Chris Chibnall could probably do pretty well with with that. You know. <laughs> To be honest, it's better than I'm, most I'm, of his ideas. I'm taking it um, on, on Christian. Yeah. Right, anyway. I don't want to spoil anyone else's enjoyment of the programme. Of the show. No, no absolutely yeah. not, if you like it. <laughs> although although it's significant that my 11-year-old stopped liking Doctor Who because recently and you know oh. you know all very well when adults are moaning about it changing, but when an 11-year-old doesn't like it anymore. Now, I will say my six-and-a-half-year-old loves it. Okay. Yeah. And you're Mostly because it's a girl doctor. And your yeah, six and a half year old has far more agency than men in their 40s watching <laughs> And indeed, Jill in the stone tape. <laughs> and indeed, Jill. Which we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes, we, we were. We, 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 we always talk about We've got to talk about Doctor Who. I mean, I've talked about talking conference. Yeah. Let's just, yeah. I, I, we've done pretty well not talking about Blake Seven yet. I think, you know, it's, it's uh, mandated, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Take that one off. Actually, should I um, should I bang on about Crawshaw for a bit? Did yeah, I, yeah please, let's yeah. talk about it. Because you had this let's idea of Shakespearean history play. Could you unpack that? Because I'm the history well, it's, play it's, where I'm wobbly. It's the t- it's the two men fighting for the succession, isn't it? And the and the love of the All they're right, trying yeah. to be they're trying to be named the um, the heir apparent, aren't they? So um, and yeah. I just love that it, instead of you know you've not got York and uh, Gloucester marching in or something, you've got uh audio cassette washing machine <laughs> i just think it's uh i love the small stakes of it um my i think my absolute favorite moment is when the vans rolled up and the, the laundry baskets come out and what i love about those laundry baskets they're full of really really bright clothes and it's like you're getting this prescient yeah. moment of the 1980s you're looking at clothes that i will have worn as a 14 year old Kajigugu fan <laughs> you know, it's this kind of bright color so he's he's got something he's he's got something right about the 1980s yeah. um yeah. and i think the only thing I, I don't think reginald marsh quite gets it right i think i think he plays it too broadly because the problem with a the problem with something like the stone tape um and somebody doing it as too much of a comic turn is that it draws your attention to the artificiality of the situation and what you can't do in the fantastical is shape people's belief in uh, the walls of a building being able to record the dying screams of a human. You can't shape someone's belief in that. And, and I think a tonally, they're, they're lucky they get away with it because I think that could have, uh, could have shaken this before, that it could have shaken it because it's just yeah. too comic. It, he's, not, he's not quite real. Uh, yes. and um but i still love all those bits i, I, th- I think they're i think they're really funny i think they're really sly uh and uh and to make the stakes you know this is they're, they're like the by god these will be the best damn toilets in utoxita but you know brock gets a bit like that at the end and it is the, the stakes are cassette tape and washing machine it's not yeah. 
That's basically it. Lancaster and York, but it's still a civil war. It's still a it's still a war of succession. But but that war of succession is you know you can say the stakes are ridiculously low because that type of washing machine. But those are the stakes on which the future of the British economy is fought. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's already lost. It's sort of (laughs) post-apocalyptic in that sense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're fighting over this this tiny. It's like the it's it's kind of like post-Roman Britain, isn't it? They're fighting over a bit of of ditch and hillock. (laughs) Because it's all we've got. Yeah, I much. like the fact we started off there as essentially Henry the Fourth and moved to um, a bit of fine lorry. <laughs> <laughs> that smooth segue yeah, between uh, high and low culture. But, you know, the stone, the stone tape theory, as you're just wanting to highlight the the, mm. the, the ridiculous, the essential ridiculousness of the of, of the of the premise. While stone tape theory is so called stone tape theory because of this, it's you know. It, um, the first, was it? It is actually a thing. It yeah. was a thing before. And yeah. I, I, I can remember the guy's name, though I double checked just now just to make sure I did. I didn't get it wrong for for Doctor Who fans. Charles, uh, sorry, Thomas Charles Lethbridge in nineteen in nineteen sixty one. One. Wait, I just double checked it. So, you know. Right. I'm just I'm just remembering. This. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, was the first person to, to theorise that um, go ghosts or you know surround buildings could contain uh, information could contain data that, mm. that had happened for them and, and this is this is a pop culture staple for the next 20 years or yeah. so i mean yeah, like, absolutely actually the most um the guy who made the most money out of it was paul Devereux, um who did an entire series of books and tied this in with ufos Oh, nice. Well done. Yeah. So he, he basically turned stone tape theory into UFOs. I've got a book of his called Earth Lights from about mm, 1981, right. which is yeah. about... Oh, yeah. the, the, it's the stone tape theory, but UFOs as well. He sort of synthesised. Yeah, yeah. He's basically Eric von Däniken of, of that sort of like pseudoscience. It's mm. amazing stuff. I think it's... Uh, I, I, I mean, all... all all the best ghost stories for me are about. Uh, I, I keep coming back to this 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 word trauma. That they're, they're all about the kind of uh, return of the repressed. Something bursts through. Something has to be voiced or named, even if it's a scream or an act of revenge or something. Uh, and it's uh, to technologize it is the masterstroke. I think. Are you are you familiar with? Um... The, the sort of original definition of hauntology from like Jack Derrida and stuff. Uh, y- y- yeah, it's, uh, it's what if you ask me to define it now on the spot, I couldn't possibly do that. But I have, I do know it. I do know the word. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I liked the way yeah. that China Mieville sort of said mm. that basically it's about unresolved history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about so we get more stories of haunting, and this this is my mm. big beef. So I bang on about this all the time. So John can sort of go and make a cup of tea or something at this point. But um, yes, because I'm unable to take what beats. Yeah, yeah, but uh, nice, yeah, all right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but essentially the idea is that we have more ghost stories and more hauntings and more things that are folk horror when fundamentally history feels unresolved. Mm. The late '90s, the mid late '90s, were a rubbish time for horror films because we were all like, things can only get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all yeah. like, cool Britannia, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And so between about 1993, 1998, there were really very few decent horror films. And the only really successful mm. crossover horror film was Scream, which was actually a horror film about horror films rather than about mm. anything else. Um, so we have this sense that things are a bit crap. Things are collapsing or we're being haunted. 
mm. by this unresolved history, you know. Well, the, the person who I think is doing this best at the moment is probably Cold War Steve. Uh, and he's got some phenomenal. Uh, ah, he, did, ah, he did a piece recently, and it was it was truly it was truly shocking. Actually, you kind of I mean, it's very funny, and it's very but but it was you know it was the usual suspects, and they're they're in some kind of they're, they're, half of them are leaning out from kind of tumble down cottage or something, and you've got Johnson and Cummings or something, and then you just see peeping up from the ground, half buried, these slippers of an old lady, and you go, geez. Christ, you've absolutely, you're on top of this. And that's yeah. that's wow. the kind of, I, and, and, and I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I feel like I'm living through a, mm. uh, a period of history, which, which is, is having a trauma enacted on mm. us. You know, where, yes, you know, yes, we're, we're being treated, uh, uh, we're being subjected to trauma, not just the trauma of the fact of a pandemic, but, but the trauma of a kind of um, uh, shock doctrine in, in Downing yeah. Street. Uh, so all of these things, and to see it so brilliantly documented straight away by someone like that, you go, that's the basis of the ghost stories we will be telling about this in in five years, or, or the really clever people in in two years. I, I think we'll need more time to process it. But uh, but but that's perhaps why I feel so strongly about that that shift he does between stone tape and moraine. That that from the from the corpse of the dead woman, you go from that to the scream of triumph. And the voicing, that—that's where you start to move into reconciliation. Truth has been spoken. Healing and reconciliation can happen. And and we're we're away from that, yeah. Clutching his chest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and uh, but yeah, that that Cold War Steve. It's a it's a brilliant piece of folk horror. I think just absolutely great. Uh, yeah. And we'll see. We'll we'll see all this coming. I think we're going to have ghost uh, ghost stories out of this. Hope so. But I mean. That idea of technology um yeah here's the thing the closest international analog to the stone tape mm. is ring the japanese oh, movie yeah. from 1998 mm. which is more or less you were talking about a feminist version of the stone tape i don't know if ring is a feminist version of the stone tape but it's it approaches an injustice against a woman and it has the woman although the sequel inevitably dials back on this as sequels do mm. you have the woman sorting it out and knowing how to fix it at the end even if she you know she's revealed in the another movie not to quite manage it but in the yeah. you just take the movie on its own you have but it's all done through the lens of technology you have an island nation it's his population is concentrated in very, you know, packed in areas. You have a history that is haunted. You have ghosts in the lands mm. and you have this on tape mm. and it haunts. Yeah. 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 There's something about the materiality of tape as well, isn't there? I think we can, yeah. um, the, the digital doesn't, um, doesn't work so well. Uh, yeah, I'll have to think more about this. There's 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 loads of really really kind of clever um, uh, criticism about this kind of thing that I've that I'm not clever enough to get past the the start of. I've not watched Ring because I'm because you've scary. only got a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in sociology, so you know don't get don't get too excited. <laughs> I, I was. I'm That's too pretty scary. clever. I mean, this kind of like. 
<laughs> She's got an ology. Got an ology. <laughs> We're a scientist. Actually, actually are an academic. Uh, by the way, as well, if you want to, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of, I've retired Hertz, but I'm, a <laughs> but you should yeah. see the other guys. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a PhD. I, I, I failed my PhD, so you know. So it was, I, it was a close run thing with me. I, I they, they just had to get yeah. rid of me somehow. And it was easier <laughs> to do the degree. I think Let's give her a sodding degree, and she'll. <laughs> There's, there's, also, there's so much there's so much projection going on here at the moment, but this is on a psychology um, discussion about how like, everyone wants to point out that they don't deserve whatever they have, but other people do. Constant. So. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we, we've had this we've had this argument because John John, of course, has been writing for the BFI yes. for a DVD release. Yeah. And I'm like, they're going. So, who's the untalented one hanging on our coattails now? Right. <laughs> Darlings, uh, we're all marvellous. We're mar- darling, you're yeah, your imposter <laughs> syndrome. Away with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's taken a bit of a kicking. He, uh, he said we should have a talk. We're having it. Meaningful. No. Hmm? Not meaningful. Since we're being fussy about words, that's not one he uses. Oh, Brock, I need more working space. Now, this place you've got here is enormous. But I could just have a look round. Sorry. Some corner that you're not using. Not a chance. Let me tell you about my project. I know the world's first all-electronic washing machine. Domestic. Domestic. The first to sort its own wash and program itself. The first to sniff out items with non-fast dyes, etc., etc., etc. It'll do all that. When it works. It'll work. When it does... That triumph of over-sophistication will cost 900 nicker per machine, just to make. Now that is a lie. I've seen the costings. Where? Who showed them to you? Guess. Now, we'll not beat old Nippon with the like of that at all, at all. He'd never say that. He did. He saw the point. This place is for fundamental research, not for patching duds. But he wouldn't have said me, Doc. Me to tell you? Yes, he would. He's got a kind heart. I haven't. But no, no, no. Going with back to the hauntings. Yes, yeah. You've got a very, very good point because there are digital hauntings. There are online hauntings. There are lots of them. It's, It's a growth industry. But, like, there's a movie on Netflix called Cam which is about a webcam girl who suddenly finds the camera webcam doing its own thing and her appearing in digital form when she's not in front of the webcam, Um, which, you know, I've really got to get to seeing because that was really interesting. Mm. But it's it's, it's of a different quality, isn't it? It, It's like the the tape has a certain, you're right, it is a bit more material. So my, my glimmer of thinking of this, just as you were just you were talking about that, about why it might be different, is that much of what we experience, I think, in the digital age is um, not not being able to tell what's true and what's fake. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. Whereas I think where the the terror of something from the terror of something like the stone tape comes from the technology giving evidence that the things that terrify us are indeed true yeah <laughs> so it's slightly it, it's like we're given a concrete uh, uh proof of the existence of the horrors that we thought were just our imaginings whereas yeah, i think digital technology kind of um 
obscures. It doesn't. Yeah, digital technology has an extra hidden layer of mediation, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's been said before that you couldn't really do this now because of the advanced technology, what it's like. Mm. So much is written about that. But, you know, there, there was in 20. 13? There was a radio version of this, wasn't there? That there was, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hadn't heard it before. I went, I, I went to listen to it the other day, and um, I t- I'll do this properly. I'll kind of, I'll kind of draw the curtains and uh, you know put the headphones on. So just do it on headphones. I, I will say, I thought it sounded phenomenal, but I, I, I did, I, I felt the whole character story was completely lost. I felt like I was listening to a piece of. Um, uh, experimental music or experimental sound design and it was phenomenal I mean it was really really it was really good uh, and um, I, you know things were happening behind my, my shoulder I was going oh you know <laughs> um, so it so it delivered all of that but I, I, I didn't feel it delivered the uh, uh, it didn't deliver the character story that, that all these things I was saying about how you have to ground it in the naturalism and the, the truth and the reality which Neil the does so well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The people have got to be true uh, which is why Crusher doesn't work so well. Um, I, I, I didn't feel it did that so well, but it sounded amazing. I mean, it's you know, wow, God, those those noises are great. <laughs> they yeah, sound yeah, really good. Yeah, awesome. the radiophonic workshop. No, we stand you. Uh, this is the modern. She's talking about. Sorry, only talking oh, the about modern the, 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 the modern version. It's, it's right. like a dual like, yeah. all, all experience. It's it's it's, it's really immersive. Okay. I've not actually it's, heard it. It so. It's it's style probably over substance but it's yep. it, it's an experience okay yeah i think it's on bbc sounds you can, you can, you can right it. Yeah, I, just, just on crawshaw by the way i've got back in why you think crawshaw doesn't work i'm wondering if anything's to do with reginald marsh generally mm. was a comedic actor yeah uh, the, the only thing i i'm doing loads of stuff anything i really remember him in is, is the boss in the good life Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. he's Tom's and old boss and uh, Jerry's yeah. Jerry's boss. Yeah. Um, and that maybe the larger than life character is just because he's used to playing slightly. I, I suppose you could also. It's not. It, 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 I appreciate it doesn't totally work because no, not not everyone's doing it. But you know, 1972. Also, tellies are this big. They're in, it's 1972. Yeah. Everyone's watching in black and white. There must yeah. be some. You often see old telly. People are theatrical, um, yeah. but you have to give a bigger performance than you otherwise might do when you're yeah. only so big. But I, it's not like everyone's doing that. Nobody else is doing uh, it. I think it's no, the yeah. and that's and that's I don't know. It's direction or just you know, it, it, just the way he decided to play it. Um, how many scenes is he in altogether? It's, not a whole lot, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe two or three. Yeah. Um, but he's so a lot could... of like Fulton Brass is there at the end. It's the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and there's the running gag also. He's got the running gag with his hands. Yes, which is a I hadn't thought of that. Everybody watching it in black and white, and you know, yeah, yeah, jungle yeah. dyed hands. And so the whole gag of the uh, you know the, the the clothes coming in and being really bright that would yeah, be best as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be like watching the snooker or something. Yeah. Percentage of people in color in what in nineteen seventy two would have been three four percent. The, wow, the, really the, that the low? That's that's amazing, actually. Yeah, tellies yeah. cost like color codes cost yeah. like four times much. As, um, we as didn't get a color TV until nineteen eighty two. Um, well, we second hand. We, we had a color telly. We were really early adopters. We had a video cassette uh, recorder in nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty, because wow. and I've alluded to this already. Family of six. And my father, who was not a rich man, was a deputy headmaster at a small primary school, decided this was worth the money 
to stop the arguments about so he, programs. he mm. literally paid to have a quieter life and i still have uh i, I don't think they played anymore i still got off uh blake seven from from now i'm sorry i go to blake seven uh from 1980 but he but it had to, it, the first one had levers proper yep. levered yep, yeah yeah ours did yeah and the second the second one had a remote control that had to you had to put it on a wire so you couldn't get very remote yeah you had to connect it so uh and that was our, our second one they were all they were all rented he didn't buy obviously because like we were talking about yeah, it, yeah, they would yeah, have been astronomical yeah. but 1980 i think he, this was a man who decided he deserved some peace in life <laughs> and the video the video cassette recorder would supply it and it kind of cannot was. fault it was after the great coronation street blake seven war of uh of 1928 <laughs> i think was the was the clincher <laughs> Don't, don't ask me who I sided with. <laughs> oh, really? It was a coronation straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, in, 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 in 85, I watched the 18, not season yep. 20, not season 22. It, it, I, well, I, was, I thought it was Robin oh, of Sherwood that was opposite it. It could have in, been. I thought 18 was on later. 84, I think it was, I, my memory is 18. Uh, but I, yeah, I no, I, I'm fairly certain. Yeah, I'm fairly certain it was Robin the Sherwood. I could be wrong as well. I'm usually wrong on these things. My memory, right. the memory cheats, as as, <laughs> as as a man once said. I love the fact that John Nathan Turner's best argument for why Doctor Who's crap now isn't no. Look at X, Y, and Z. Way it's it's always been crap. That's that's <laughs> the memory cheats. No, it was this shit in six. You only had to. I mean, imagine watching Two Miss Ivan and going, oh, it's a bit shit. Isn't it? Yeah, because you never watch it again. One of the funniest things I ever heard was like, I loved, I loved Web of Fear far more before Philip Morris discovered it. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to look up eight. Actually, I'm not going to do it now because that's that's way, way privileged waste of time. You put that so in the show notes. I'm going to put in the show notes. Um, yeah. Season 22. I think I think it was 18. You think it was Robin of Sherwood. Because um, I remember. I have scant memories of uh, Revelation of the Daleks, but far more of, of, of watching. Because it was just big, it was just bigger. You watch, you know, the, whatever you think of it now, you watch the, tr the trundling cart in the studio uh, for, on, on Of course you've got to watch the 18. Yeah. I've got to watch, the, got to watch the, 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 the Jeep going over. And no one dies. It was, you know, in season 22, every fucker dies. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I was, oh, some, um, usually uh, the, the hands of that bloke in the stupid coat. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Just rewatch some of those. No, yeah, there's, yeah. There, 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 are, there, there are some good ideas. That the Borad looks looks lovely, and actually, yeah. um, Mark Gatiss made the point. He's a he's a Hinchley villain in a in a Saywood story, uh, which is a bit yeah. Funny. He looks he looks good. I'm gonna flip this a bit silly, but the face it looks. Yep. It's yeah, a good yeah. face, yeah. Looks, and I still love that bit where the, the robot appears in the middle of nowhere. You know like, what the fuck that? And then the episode later, the robot disappears. Um, yeah. And it's oh, it's, it's that's there's there's thought there, and there's just so much good stuff that could have been done. It's yeah, that say would just just trying to bottle the lightning of of, of, of Andrew's army, and it, it not, that, that can't be it every week. And by the yeah. end of season twenty two, the Doctor and the Daleks are both superfluous to the, to to, a, to to the story, and the Doctor yep. spends literally half the story walking to the plot. Yep. Yeah. Un yeah. Unforgivably bad. But once he gets there, it's awesome. It is. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway. We've, we've rewatched a lot recently just because we kind of gone, oh, let's put it on, let's put it on, isn't it? And I drew the line at Mind Warp. I said, I'm not, I'm just never watching oh, it again. That's my favourite. That's my favourite Colin Bacon. Sorry. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> there, it shows you what I know. <laughs> it's, an, it's an opinion. Nothing else. We haven't even talked about the sound uh, of, 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 of this. Um, yes. Sorry, well, it's Desmond Briscoe. Who does uh, who does the sound of this? Which Howard uh, he does he does part of the soundtrack to Phase Four. Oh, uh, I was watching Phase Four, um, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, it's brilliant and fun and you know, just mm -hmm. been re-released on, on, on Blu-ray mm -hmm. with, with the restored ending, with the, the original ending, ending that Saul Bass wanted. And it's it's amazing. There's no dialogue for the first fifteen minutes. It's Anne's killing shit, uh, and it's great fun. And I was about five minutes into it, I went, "This sounds a bit. This sounds pretty." Radiophonic workshop and have a look at it. Yeah. Radiophonic workshop. It's yeah. Um, I, it's for a film where very little happens with very little creatures. It's gripping. Mm -hmm. It's genuinely worth it. Um, I it also also it's, for some reason it's the single most popular essay I've ever written on my website. The one I wrote about Phase Four. Is it? It's like of, of, of any single film. It's had like something like five thousand people. Yeah, I would correlate really? it with fan fictions and see if there's a see if there's a see if there's yeah, a secret yeah. fan fiction there. Yeah, that would be. Uh, you'll probably discover there's a there's a sort of um, subculture of fan fiction writers who are who are all who like Phase Four. I like Blake Seven. Most people like Blake Seven. Who doesn't like Blake Seven? Now you are a New York Times best-selling author. Would you say you have, would you still, in some ways, regard yourself? Can you say you came from fan fiction? Oh God, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 completely. Yeah, yeah. I just did a talk to the Tolkien Society about. Um, they invited me to do their AGM lecture, which is like, oh, people have done this, like Christopher Tolkien and. Brian Sibley and John Garth and Tom Shippey and me and I'm talking about fan fiction. This is amazing. amazing. So uh, just, you know, my little six-year-old self is having to cry. Um, oh yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. And and it's completely how I relate to text that that I'm I'm not um, I'm always in conversation. And, and this is so this is completely standard for my reaction to the stone tape. Oh yeah, I like that, but uh, yeah, it needs in to be conversation with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so, I have a close friend who's doing a PhD in fan works. And oh, so right. I get okay. to hear a lot about her work and stuff. And so she's oh, she's convinced wow. that fan works are actually some of the best literature being written today because of the way in which they're in conversation with media. I think there's some really there's some really rich stuff out there and um and it it's underestimated. I think I think if you know a text really well and then you read a really good fan fiction on it, you can't you can't beat it as a as a experience. If we're we're running probably down uh, to towards the end of this now. I haven't we are, in, yeah. I haven't even gone into the fact that James, a really young James Cosmo, is in this. Who's in everything um, from, mm. from his yeah, his Renton's dad in Train Spotting and he's in somebody um, often playing gruff, seemingly nasty class regions, and here he is playing. Uh, he's dressed as Matt Smith playing a scientist. And it's, it's, it's anyway, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Kind of the end as we 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 normally do. What does uh, Nigel Neal mean, mean to you both as a you as a writer you as a fan and what's your closing thoughts on the stone tape I'm glad that I came back to it 
because uh, watching it again this week, um, you just see the excellence uh, of the writing, the excellence of the structuring in particular, I think, just how beautifully it all unlocks and uh, you know this, the clockwork precision of it. Uh, and I, I, I think even though, you know, the story goes in a way that I would tell it differently, that's, that's, that's my business. That's, you know, he told the story that he wanted to tell. Uh, and you could sit down with any Neil script and, and learn from it. And that's a great pleasure. And the, the, what proves that something is good is the way that you can chew it over in the way that we've done, I think. That you can, you can move characters around and talk yes. with them of interest. And, you know, we can come up with dumb things like, oh, let's run with this as a Freudian whatever. And, and, and that, I think, is testament to the quality of the writing, that you're, you're just always wanting to turn this thing round and examine it. Yeah. Because these things get out of a writer's control. But the more you put into a text like this, the more it kind of rewards you. So even though I want the feminist version in space, uh, I still... I'm really glad I went back and watched it this week because I saw much more in it this time. So good choice. <laughs> and there, as you, see, as you see, Howard, unlike um, Moraine tells us, we do go back. <laughs> do you go back? Yes! <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Una. My pleasure. Yes, Absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. A big thank you to Una McCormack for joining us on this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Birdcast Galling and you can find us on Facebook or via our website birdcast.room207press.com. Birdcast is presented by John Deere and me, Howard David Ingham, and is engineered by Emma Cooper. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.